Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit BikeRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my guest is Lisa Marshall, and we will be talking about her new book, workbook, Yin, Completing the Leadership Journey. Yin is written as a workbook and invites readers to discover what may have in their own stories that prevented them from using their voices effectively. In ancient China, yin was the feminine principle, standing for receptivity and the ability to move with what is, not with what we wish were. Broadly speaking, Lisa states, yang is active and external, yin is receptive and internal. Yin is quiet, incremental, and irresistible, much like the natural forces of wind and water. Deeply in processes include healing, sleep, learning, grieving, forgiveness, anger, and love. In Completing the Leadership Journey is a book, a guided reflective journey, and a workbook designed to help you reach that end. Lisa is a nationally recognized expert, trainer, and speaker on leadership maturity and organizational development and president of her own executive coaching firm, The Smart Work Company. Marshall founded The Smart Work Company to help leaders develop critical communication and collaboration skills. For over 20 years, her seminars and trainings have offered executives a creative way to become more self-aware and tap into their potential through the power of story. For more information, you can visit Lisa's website, which is yincompletingtheleadershipjourney.com. Again, that's yincompletingtheleadershipjourney.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Lisa to the show. Good day, Lisa. Good day, Robert. Good to talk to you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to our conversation because, um, you know, just from what I understand of, of the yin uh concept or energy and leadership, you know, they I wouldn't have put those two together. So I'm looking forward to finding out about that. So would you mind um telling us what was the inspiration behind writing in? The inspiration uh was sort of a kick in the butt from a teacher of mine, a man named Hayemio Storm, who's a Native American, an author, who read an earlier book that I'd written on leadership and said, this is a good book, Lisa, but you need to write a book about leadership for women. I thought I'd written a book about leadership for everybody, so I couldn't quite figure out what I was supposed to be doing. And it took me probably seven or eight years And then the convergence of Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, the pandemic, and some surgical healing that I had to do before I really saw what had arguably been in front of me all along, which was that women's journeys, and a lot of men's, and that's why I use the term yin and yang and not male and female, because they're kinds of energies, and we all have them. Um, But that yin journey is a journey, it's an interior journey. The yang journey, the traditional hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell wrote about it, and any number of other people have written about it since then, That journey is about, you know, getting the golden fleece, chopping off Medusa's head. It's about external (laughs) accomplishments. 
It's about mm-hmm. overcoming and returning to the community with a gift. The yin journey, I realized, is about finding our voices. And that's an interior journey. I mean, there's certainly exterior aspects to it, but fundamentally, we have to go inside ourselves, face those internal monsters and conquer them to come back to the world with our gift, which is our voice. Interestingly enough, when women find their voice, it's also very frequently a voice for the planet. It's a voice for Mother Nature. It's a voice for Gaia. It is in defense of and protective of this beautiful place we all get to call home. And it's not about overcoming so that we can extract more from the planet. It's about nurturing and caring for the planet. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. The, the nurturing, that was the word that was in my head, too, is that it really covers, um, you know, a wide range of activities um, that can fall under a, a nurturing um, type of um behavior. Uh, so what is, what was the idea of it being, Ian being internal and reflective, what would Lynn leadership look like? Yin leadership starts with caring and concern. Um, yin is the heart-driven form of leadership. And there are plenty of males I've known who have that form of leadership. It's also about inclusivity. It's about listening to everyone's voice. It's about sharing resources. It's not about accumulation, and it's certainly not about domination. Those, I would say, were the biggest distinctions. Yeah. So, so what, what do people in general, um, is, there, is there a, when I think of leadership, and, and when you talked about those yin qualities, you know, which you know, are very important qualities, the, the inclusiveness, uh, the nurturing, the caring, the, you know, looking beyond, you know, kind of one's own little circle. Um, a lot of those um, aren't viewed, well, I say, it seems that those are viewed as weak. You know what I mean? In the sense, you know, when you look yes. at, you know, the zeitgeist, you know, they seem to be like weak kind of um, descriptors. Um, so what do we have to do? Well, before we get to that, and and so the Yang leadership then is one which is what more active and that conquering and you know and reduces it, all that kind of thing. Um, so that would be the Yang kind of leadership. Yes, it, and we have in our current zeitgeist, I like that word, enshrined a very specific kind of Yin of Yang leadership, and that's what I call the Peter Pan model where you're young and you're charismatic and you have great adventures and you never lose and you take really good care of the lost boys, also known as the good old boys. And in return, we don't ask you to grow up. That's the contract. You can stay immature forever. As And an interesting thing, I went back and read James Berry's Peter Pan book and I'd forgotten this point. Peter Pan can't remember yesterday. He can play the same games over and over and over again with equal enthusiasm because he doesn't remember that he just did this yesterday. And I think that fits a lot of the leadership we've seen in the the last, uh, I don't know, 40 or 50 years you know, where we keep making the same mistakes, we keep empowering the same kinds of people, and then wondering why we keep ending up with the same kinds of economic collapse or social collapse or 
whatever. It's we're stuck in a, a, a kind of time warp where we don't honor history and we don't learn mm. from it. And yeah, I do think yeah. that part of yin is noticing what yin in in a way is about composting our stuff, our personal baggage in a way that we learn from it, where we extract the nutrients from it and can apply them to our lives. We don't do that as a culture. Yeah. Um, do, do you, what would, I mean, you know, when you're talking about, you know, doing things kind of in the same way and then up the same kind of results, um, in your opinion, what do you feel is um, important to be able to make that shift from young energy to the yin? Or does the switch have to even be, in, be done? Is it more of a balance between the two? Well, ultimately, certainly the goal is balance. And I can't emphasize that enough. I am not arguing for a world in which everything is yin. I am mm -hmm. arguing for a world where we redress the, the huge imbalance we currently have where everything is yang. Yeah. And what it is going to take, maybe a kind of breakdown where mm. the young can't keep extracting and dominating and things fall apart. Yeah. Then frequently is experienced by people when things fall apart. And I'm not wishing this on us. I'm just observing right. as a historian that, that we are trending in that direction fairly briskly. The um, When things fall apart, when human beings have what's sometimes referred to as a dark night of the soul, is when they get in touch with yin where they... they fundamentally have to stop doing. The do, do, do grinds <laughs> to a halt. Mm -hmm. And it's dark and it's scary and all they can do is be. And many of the great spiritual teachers in our times are people who've had that kind of experience and speak from that kind of experience. And I'm thinking about Eckhart Tolle or um, Byron Katie, Jeannie Zandi. Those are all people who teach how to let go, stop fighting for domination and control, and learn how to live in a qualitatively different way. And what that takes for any given individual, I can't say. What it takes for society, mm -hmm. my hunch is, as I said, a breakdown, a very serious breakdown. And I, I find it fascinating that the pandemic has resulted in this vast rethinking that people are doing about work and what they're doing and how they're doing it and whether they want to be doing it to me, symptomatic of a yin period. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe that many people, I mean, the, the pandemic really kind of forced um, introspection and, and reflection. I mean, and, and people dealt with it differently. Some took advantage of that period to you know, be reflective to kind of learn more about themselves. And then there are some who fought it every inch of the way, you know, and, yep. um, and, and we can see the, the futility in fighting something like that. 
Um, but um, but from what you're saying is, it sounds like you know we really have to have even a much bigger break to be able to. Yeah, because that dark night of the soul is a serious thing. So when we're talking about a global black night of the soul, you know, it, it would have to be a pretty serious thing. Um, but that might be. I, I agree. I, I'm often yeah. reminded though that th- this isn't the first time human beings have wrestled with this. Beowulf, which is one of the oldest stories on the planet, you know, when he kills Grendel, he wakes up Grendel's mother, ten times scarier than Grendel. And and I feel like we're on, on the cusp of having done that sort of thing here, that if we don't mm. figure out a way to live with these monsters we're going to wake them up in ways that we've barely seen a hint of. Yeah. And that's going to be very scary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so many structures were kind of flattened with, you know, the, the implications from the pandemic from, like, um, working, you know, work, working situations, um, you know, home situations. I mean, and, and, you know, the plight of the elderly and the, um, lower income individuals. I mean, so, I mean, it really, I think, brought to light our weak spots, <laughs> kind of like where we really need to give, give attention to. Right. It's, it's the places Grendel's mother lives. <laughs> <laughs> And and we do need to be paying attention to them and not reverting as quickly as we can to business as usual. Yes, I I agree. And and I think there might be a little seesaw of this kind of going back and forth, you know, you know, do a little bit of return, more more return, and then the pendulum will swing back and forth. But um, the balance is is certainly what's required. So, in your book, you talk about yin elderhood. So, can you tell us what yin elderhood is? Yin elderhood is when people are doing the work of growing up. And I should say from the get-go, one of my deeply held beliefs is that whatever other purposes we have in our lives, Part of why we're here is to grow up. It's to mature. And there are a lot of different ways to do that because you can be intellectually very mature and not spiritually very mature. You can be emotionally very mature and so uncomfortable inside your own body, so physically immature that you make other people uncomfortable. You can have all these combinations of maturities and immaturities, but yin elderhood is when you're working on getting those in balance as well as your yin-yang tendencies in balance. And it requires an enormous amount of self-awareness, and it requires an enormous amount of compassion for oneself and for the people around one. When people have that those qualities, they lead more effectively. And again, this isn't new news. It, the I Ching, which is, you know, estimated to be at least 5,000 years old, says the bad leaders are hated and feared. The good leaders are loved and and revered. The great leaders, the people say, we did it ourselves. Hmm. And that, that quality of empowering everyone around you to be their best possible self, that is a trait of a yin elder, in my estimation. Wow. It is interesting, you know, you talk about the need to to grow up. Um, I had just booked for next month a show, um, and the title is Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. And when I was first presented with that, I thought, oh, no, that's 
You know, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I mean, who, should I really even do this show? And then I said, yeah, you know, obviously there's a need for it. And with you bringing it up, I mean, to me it's like, you know, maybe that is something that is circulating around that we, you know, if, if we become informed, um, you know, that we can make our decisions more adult-like in, in our our actions. Yes. You know, the kids have turned the kids of 76. The, the Gen Wires and the Millennials have turned growing up into a verb. They call it adulting. And mm-hmm. it often has to do with acting like a grown-up when you don't really feel like one, which is a natural enough thing for somebody in their 20s or 30s. I also think it speaks to a great hunger for role models. Frankly, I think baby boomers, of which on the front end of that generation, have really failed young people in that way, by and large. The the notion of tooling down the road in your RV with a bumper sticker proudly declaring, I'm spending my child's inheritance, is not a role model of being a mature human being. It's a role modeling of the Peter Pan thing, again, of wanting perpetual adolescence, perpetual childhood, perpetual fun and play. And there's nothing wrong with being fun-filled and playful as a elder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's also really important that you are contributing to your community and role modeling a different kind of decision-making and being present in ways that a lot of us baby boomers don't want to be bothered with. Hmm. No. Um, the, the idea of, um, you know, kind of, of uh, being present and, and being able to you know, still have fun, again, I think it comes back to balance, it seems, you know, that, you know, as we progress, you know, the the number of playful, fun, careless, carefree, you know, activities, you know, as we get older, those decrease in, in uh, the adult, you know, oriented types of activities increase. Um, but um, I would think that there's a, you know, I had never heard of adulting, you know, as far as, because it, it, I keep it a verb, it, it sounds like it's a bad thing, you know, you're going to try to avoid being an adult. <laughs> often spoke of in ways, uh, in tones of despair and frustration, I will say that. I'm trying to be an adult here, but it's not working. Um, And, you know, I understand that. And it also reflects a very narrow definition of being an adult. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what, what, I mean, I think the... Definition of being an adult is really, do, do you feel it, it's a, a factor of a combination of um, upbringing, um, belief systems, um, and just maybe current uh, situational kind of things that um, uh, um, would contribute to what one perceives as an adult? Like one, you know, Someone, you know, standing out front, um, yelling and screaming, you know, to them that might be fun. It might be adult. You know, they might be doing their thing, uh, you know, but to some it might be childish. So, I mean, it seems that uh, the sure, definition I, of adult can be subjective. Mm-hmm. We've complicated it a lot, Robert, because we, I mean, think about, how the words adult and mature are used in this culture. They both refer to pornography. 
that is one of their most frequent uses. That's a little hmm. scary. Yeah. And and it is <laughs> part of a, a devaluing and a diminishment of being mature that we're culturally insensitive to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think, you know, educated awareness is kind of the important part of, of a puzzle to kind of make things shift. Um, now, on your website, you mentioned flower soldiers. Um, can you tell us about that? And, I mean, the, the women that you have listed there are, um, I mean, people I've never heard, and fascinating stories. So can you tell us a, a bit about flower soldiers and maybe sure. an example? Flower soldiers, and this this is a nice example both of the concepts of balance and of maturity. The term comes from Central American, from Mayan culture, where for many hundreds if not thousands of years they had temple schools, and all over the world, the temples were the schools in many, many civilizations. It's true throughout Southeast Asia. It's true throughout Latin America, um, parts of Africa, and even um, Europe. The, one of the very first colleges in Europe was the Druidic Temple School on Anglesey Island, between England and Ireland. And the temple schools were, were where smart people went, and you were going to be trained to be a priest or a healer or a warrior. And the flower soldiers were the warriors who were so Wrong, they could be so tender as a flower. They were fearless in their ability to be emotionally available, as well as intellectually available, as well as physically available, as well as spiritually available. And that training took, you know, 20 or 30 years. I think we need flower soldiers today because we need people who can be fierce in defense of what matters and clear-eyed about it and at the same time have the open hearts that allow healing to happen. So the people that yeah. I've listed on the website are all people, and, and there are, I've got a, add some more, I've been collecting names. Um, certainly, it's not only women who can be flower soldiers. The women who are there are people who've done remarkable things in the face of a very, very potent cultural current that told them they couldn't, whether or not it was Scylla Elworthy who started conversations during the deepest years of the Cold War between scientists and military people about the implications of the choices they were making at a time when nobody wanted to think about that, or Lena Gabawi, who deposed a dictator I'm not going to say single-handedly because what she did was she got all the women together to say, we're not supporting this anymore. And they surrounded the what was then in Liberia the equivalent of the White House and wouldn't let anybody come or go. So they did it completely peacefully. But they brought down Charles Taylor. Um I mean, these are women who, yeah. these are humans who have achieved remarkable things 
in times and places when they were told they weren't good enough, they weren't big enough, they didn't matter enough, you're, we can't hear you, your voice doesn't count. And they kept speaking anyway. And that's what flower yeah. soldiers do. Yeah, yeah. Those are some incredible accomplishments. And um, and it's kind of like the, the CNN Hero Awards, you know, where they highlight people who are doing good. I mean, right. uh, one of those cases, yeah. Well, um, Lisa, we're about halfway through the show, so I want to take just a quick break, a 90-second break. And then when we come back, you had mentioned a couple times mature. So I want to talk about mature leadership, you know, and, and the different levels that that can um, exist, okay? Great. Okay. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5 by 7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Lisa Marshall, and we're talking about her new book, slash workbook, Yin, Completing the Leadership Journey. And again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is yincompletingtheleadershipjourney.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Lisa. Hi, Robert. Good. Okay, so... Mature leadership, you know, um, I believe um, in the book it was indicated that that can, it can occur on many different levels, intellectual, emotional, right. spiritual, and physical. So can you, and I can kind of understand mature leadership in, you know, several, like the intellectual and spiritual and emotional, but physical, um, what would be um, an example of mature leadership, physical leadership? Mature physical leadership is being at home inside your own body. Whatever shape, whatever size, whatever color, whatever, you know, whether you're bow-legged or not need or any of the physical traits, you're just comfortable in your own skin. You're comfortable with who you are. A lot of leaders have studied the martial arts, and that helps them achieve that. It's not necessarily what's needed, but there's just a way which people are at home in their own skin that makes everyone around them comfortable that I think is is the, the quintessential quality of mature physicality. And, you know, we live in a culture um, that prizes a um, how you look and appearing to have it all together and, you know, and not seeming to have to work hard for anything that is pretty much antithetical to what I'm talking about. 
in in a healthy human being, it takes work to get to maturity in all our different domains, and we don't hide that. But that's yeah. that's not the 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 TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, make everything look beautiful and effortless game that's getting played these days is, is actually quite toxic and it's especially toxic to young people. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that study that came out about uh, Instagram's impact on, you know, the self-image of teens is can be, you know, frightening. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's one of those things where uh, as a parent, you know, it's something you want to, you know, be in touch with and, and try and be as present, but Sometimes it takes nowadays, <laughs> you know. I mean, they would, um, you know, kind of fall into that that belief system of, um, you know, what they see and the idea of perfection. Um, now, do you, what would be an example, in your opinion, of a mature leader? Who, who are maybe a couple of examples of, that you would say are mature leaders and, and why? Well... It's interesting because almost by definition they're not necessarily very well known. I would say, well, let me let me go in a different direction. There was a book that came out quite a while ago now called Good to Great by a um, guy named Jim Collins, and in it he had tracked. 20 companies that had performed at or slightly above market levels for a period of 20 years or more. So it wasn't just a a good year deal. It was, you know, consistent behavior. And 20 companies that had performed at something like five times market levels for that same 20-year period. And for each company in one, there was a, a, a... counterpart in the other and he didn't want to focus on leadership as being an element in that but he had a bunch of grad students working for him and they kept coming back to him and saying Jim you can't ignore the leadership you can't ignore the leadership they're just too different in these two different groupings and The way he ultimately puts it in the book is in the good companies, the leaders looked in the mirror when there was credit to be given and out the window when there was blame to be distributed. And in the great companies, the leaders looked out the window when there was credit to be given, which is to say they gave credit to everyone around them. And they looked in the mirror when there was Blame to be distributed because they recognized that they were where the buck stopped. And most people didn't know the names of those companies, let alone who was leading them. And I think that's often the case that the, the great leaders, as I said earlier, the people say we did it ourselves, that's because they've been empowered and supported and developed by their leadership to the point where they're taking the credit for what has been accomplished. So for me to give you names is sort of an oxymoron because I don't have any other than to say that, you know, in a number of cases, I think my flower soldiers are also great leaders. And I've certainly worked inside of companies that had great leaders, very quiet, often retiring, not always, sometimes loud and boisterous, but people whose hearts, and here's a key element in this, people do not follow heads. They follow hearts. And... I've worked, I've had the privilege as an executive coach of working with leaders who, when they would walk in the room, you would watch, and within five minutes, everyone was sitting up a little straighter, 
breathing a little more deeply. Their shoulders were back and down. They clearly were feeling like, oh, we can do this. So the great leaders don't come in the I flavor. They come in the we flavor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I understand that. And, and, you know, I think uh, there is just so much value to giving that credit outward, um, you know, and, and building people up. And I was, as we were discussing this, the, the thought had come to my mind about the, I don't, I hate the Ukraine Russia war. I hate it. But when you look at the two different leaders, they're um, presenting very disparate types of approaches. Um, you know, in yes. a sense that I think, like you know, Zelensky is doing more of that heart. You know, talking to the emotion. You know, and and being um, supportive of. of people of, the, of his troops, and then they got the other one, um, Putin, and that the domineering, you know, blast them into oblivion. You know, to me, it, it, it's kind of like um, it's a, a yin-yang um, in one particular involvement. Yes. That is, that is a legitimate example. I mean, I think Zelensky has stepped into a role he didn't choose Mm-hmm. stepped up to it, shouldered the responsibility, and is with full humility absolutely doing yeah. a remarkable job. Um, and without claiming that he's doing anything. Um, right. And yeah. he has been very impressive to watch. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and my... my I'm wondering, you know, that if this is not one of those, you know, watershed moments when people can visually see and emotionally feel um, the the effects of the two and the difference of the two and maybe what we should be working toward. (laughs) The who do you want to be when you grow up question. (laughs) is uh, exactly. is pretty stark yeah. in that case. Yeah, very much so. And, you um, know, now, one of the dilemmas mm-hmm. with human beings is we keep having to learn these lessons over and over again. Every generation has to learn yeah. them for themselves. Yes, yeah. We're doomed to repeat history if we don't, you know, become educated about it or aware about it. Um, now, yeah. in your in your um, workbook, book, book, workbook. Um, you, you talk about the power of story. So, can you tell us a bit about what you mean by story and what kind of power it can hold us to? Human beings evolved with stories as their teachers. Now, we spent tens of thousands of years gathered around campfires at night telling stories. Stories were how we learned how to hunt, where to find food, how to take care of each other, how to live with animals who didn't necessarily look at us as much more than food. (laughs) We learned everything through stories. And now, you know, we live in bodies that have brains attached to them, which are hardwired for stories. So if you want to get a message across, the most efficient way, and there's been tons of research on all this, is to tell a story. And we, the tricky part is, if we don't have a story, we make them up. And the fascinating thing to me is that it's not the creative part of our brain that does that. It's the logical, analytical, linear part of the brain because it wants a constant and consistent narration of what's going on. It wants to be making sense of what's going on at every given moment. And one of the most fascinating things to me is if you watch an organization that loses its story – the rumor mill just explodes. 
most people mm. don't say, I'm making this up. Most people pronounce what their mind is telling them as a logical explanation for what's going on as though it were fact, with zero corroboration. We make up stories all the time. And it's one reason why communication is such a delicate and tricky business these days. So we have to have a story. Every human being mm -hmm. needs a story about themselves. Every human being has a story about themselves. That story may be you're worthless, you don't count, you don't matter, or it may be you're the best thing since sliced bread. You are so important. You deserve everything. It doesn't matter. We're all living inside of whatever story we got. Part of that awakening and awareness that you've been referring to is becoming aware of what story did we get. Is that a story we want to be living in? And if it isn't, what can we do to change it? People yeah, that, that was, often ask. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that. I was, I was just going to say that, you know, I think um, whenever I've, you know, become aware of a story, my story kind of thing, um, I, it, it becomes um, one of the first things that pops into my head is like, okay, here is a story that has gone on for chapter after chapter after chapter. Now, what, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start a new one, what? do I want to talk about? What do I want to live about? You know, kind of like creating that new chapter um, and writing writing a story rather than simply living, being procreative, I guess. <laughs> right, or being written by the story. <laughs> yeah, when I yeah. wrote my first book on leadership, which was called Speak the Truth and Point to Hope, a lot of women said to me, well, isn't the hero's journey, because that was the structure I used, Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, isn't that just for guys? And my answer always was, well, if you're not the hero in your own story, who is? And I stand by that. And it's also why it took me so long to see that the hero's journey as told by Campbell and in most of the last 5,000 years worth of Greek, Roman, Norse, and all other mythologies, because there's plenty that come from Latin America and there's plenty that come from Southeast Asia and India, but by and large, most of those are young hero's journey stories. And that the yin hero's journey, the journey to our interior, to, to wrestle with our own monsters, which is another way of saying to figure out what our story really needs to be now, that that, I didn't see that because I was so embedded in that young hero's journey version of things. And when I finally saw heard, felt how that dark night of the soul was an equally heroic journey was sort of the breakthrough for me in terms of writing in that I could finally figure out what needed to be said that wasn't being said. Hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those... Um, the, the cases of, 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 I guess, you know, awareness and um, one of the um, areas that you talk about, you know, we, we've been talking about yin and yang um, and, you know, talk about how it's, um, my thoughts is that it's a continuum. Um, do we each, are, are, do we each have, um, like yin tendencies or yang yang tendencies. Um, I mean, is it? Can we? I'm, I'm sure we have a little bit of both. But I mean, for for those who have maybe yang affinity, you know, to 
how they view and treat life. Um, what do you feel that they can gain from reading it? What they can gain from reading Yin is a sense of where the value in balance lies, the richness, the depth, the wholeness. Anytime we're only living in 50% of life, we're by definition missing a lot of it. Uh, and mm. that's kind of what we've created culturally at this point. We like the daylight. We like the bright lights. We like the growth phase. But human beings don't just grow forever. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, they reach a, a balance point where they stop accumulating and they stop achieving and they learn how to simply be if they're lucky some people don't ever learn this and mm. they learn the here's a distinction that I've been finding very useful that comes from Brene Brown's book Atlas of the Heart and it's the difference between contentment and tranquility. And contentment, as she defines it, is being completely satisfied with who you are, where you are, what you are, what your life is, what you've accomplished, etc., etc. Sounds great. Tranquility is the absolute absence of any need to do anything. And the transition from contentment to tranquility, I think, is one of the great gifts of, mm, I'm going to call it old, old age, <laughs> from, from my perspective, which is there's nothing to be proved. There's nothing to be Um, you know, added to the collection yeah. or whatever. There's just this sheer delight in being alive, fully alive in the present moment without having to perform in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, <clears throat> achieving that is is um would be a wonderful um goal um to be able to um have that sense of just not having to prove anything to anybody <laughs> you know and uh, exactly. quite a few septicinarians and octogenarians that have told me that time and time again <laughs> so um now um are you still um coaching people I am. I am. I'm, I work with about 12 to 15 people at any given point in time. Um, half of them are pro bono and half of them are paying clients. I still keep a finger in, in the corporate world because I've learned so much from my work there and I appreciate it. Uh, and, um, good for me. It keeps me thinking and feeling and mm -hmm. growing my own learning edge. So I do still work, and I spend a lot yeah. of time grandmothering, and I spend <laughs> a fair amount of time reading and writing. So oh, that's great. That's great. Um, yeah. So now. Your your book, um, this, we're kind of on the last five minutes, so your book is, is a workbook. I had mentioned that several times during the show. So can you tell us why you formatted the book in that manner, and, and what are some of the things that people um, can expect to be doing <laughs> um, in working with the workbook? Well, 
I made the, work, the book a workbook because a very dear friend of mine read an early draft of it, and she said, there's not enough stories in here, Lisa. You have to tell people stories and give them examples. And I had a really visceral no response, and it took me a while to figure out why, and that's because I felt strongly about, in this case, people doing their own work. What does that mean? Yeah. It means I don't want you to read about Eckhart's Holy's Dark Night of the Soul. I want you to do some thinking about have you had experiences like that or that approach that or you've watched other people have those kind of experiences and what did that do to you? I wanted people to do the work of understanding their story, appreciating their story, seeing their story. A lot of people don't even know they have a story. And we've created, especially in the world of business books, this sort of, what do I want to call it? It's, it's almost like we feed the reader the baby food of lots of entertaining stories of how other people did this rather than saying, mm -hmm. now it's your turn. Now you have to step up. So what I did was the chapters are fairly short, and after each chapter there are some questions, and they could be very simple or fairly profound, but there's space to write, and it's, we call it a workbook because it lays flat and you can write in it, and it's just a way of getting people to think about, you know, as you read this, what comes up for you, what, 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 what thoughts come to mind, what concerns come to mind. Do you see yourself in here? A question I frequently ask, or what are the monsters that you deal with? Because, you know, in, in the hero's journey, it's all about dealing with the monsters. If it's a young journey, it's about conquering them. If it's a yin journey, it's probably a lot more about learning to live with them. <laughs> you know, what what draws you to what I'm talking about here, what 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 is scary about what I'm talking about here? Can you remember a moment like this in your life? Because again, I want I want people to do their own work, their own reflection. I, I'm not going to feed them other people's stories and let them feel like, okay, I read yeah. that book, I have that. You know, we we have this belief that knowledge is something you get by reading books or Googling and things. And, and real knowledge doesn't live there. Real knowledge is when it's in your muscles, when in a crisis you can call on it without having to think about it. And that means some serious self-reflection and some serious self-awareness. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I like, I like a book that gives you a way to apply the information into your life. I think that's kind of what um, what it's all about, becoming more aware, becoming, you know, more um, active um, in, in a sense of, you know, controlling one's own life, you know, and, and kind of learning about your story is an important start. So, um, well, Lisa, we have run out of time. <laughs> I just want to thank you for your time. It's really been a treat. Well, thank you. This has been a delicious conversation. I have enjoyed myself thoroughly. Great. Thank you very much. And um, again, everyone, I do want to remind you that today's special guest is Lisa Marshall. We've been talking about her new book, workbook, Yin, Completing the Leadership Journey. And again, you can find out more by visiting yincompletingtheleadershipjourney.com. And Lisa has all kinds of resources there for you to explore. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. 
You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.